Good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin. I serve here on our pastoral staff. And uh, our Advent theme uh, this year is eternity, as you see on the sign behind me. And we've looked at eternal hope. We've looked at eternal love. And today our topic is eternal peace. It's easy for us to talk about a lack of peace. Uh, it's a well-covered topic every evening on the news, uh, from natural disasters, arguments about COVID, uh, we, we can quickly sense our need uh, for peace in our world. My topic, my topic today isn't, isn't conflict, but we, we know that that is a topic that is on the, the forefront of our minds, and the burdens that each one of us carries related to that are real. The Dobson family uh, led us in prayer uh, for peace, and we're going to continue with that. And we're going to take a minute to just simply pray for peace in the many areas of conflict that each one of us can think about right here and right now. And so just take a quiet minute and name those things, name those places, name those people, name those situations in the world, at your job, in our church. Name those places that you want God to step in and bring peace. And in a moment, I'll close us off in prayer. God, we acknowledge that no disaster, no conflict, no catastrophe is too big for you. That you're sovereign, that you're all-powerful. And so we call on you for peace in our world. We pray for those in the United States who had a tornado rip through their home. Jesus, restore their property bring comfort to those family members who have lost a loved one. Bring them peace. We acknowledge uh, the tensions on the Ukraine-Russian border. And Jesus, we ask for your peace. We pray for those in Sumas Prairie recovering from disaster. And we ask for your peace. For all the conflicts relationally that we know of, we ask for your peace. We trust in you, Jesus. Amen. Well, to truly understand peace, we need to understand a Hebrew word. The word is shalom. It's a Jewish greeting, but it means far more than just peace. Shalom means wholeness. Shalom means completeness. It means soundness. It means health, safety, prosperity. It's far bigger than a simple peace. Shalom means everything is in its right place. Shalom is what Adam and Eve experienced with God in the Garden of Eden before sin entered. 
It was when God and humanity and creation were all together in harmony. We also believe that there will be eternal shalom when Christ returns and the presence of sin is abolished. This morning, the Dobsons read from uh, the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is, uh, and, and to the Jews of, of his day, 700 years before Jesus, shalom was to come when God sent his Messiah, the anointed one. And Isaiah prophesied that the Jewish, to the Jewish kingdom that was divided after David, King David, and his son Solomon. After that time, the kings worshipped false gods, and Isaiah was calling them back to faithfulness. He said that God was going to judge them for their disobedience. If they did not turn back to God, he would be purifying them, disciplining them through the exile. They would be sent into exile where the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and ultimately uh, the Romans in the day of Jesus would overtake them. But Isaiah also prophesied that there was hope. God would not abandon them. Even though they would be destroyed, he would create a new Jerusalem and reestablish shalom for all people. As one author says, Isaiah's message directs our faith to a future in which justice will prevail, in which creation will be restored and universal peace will be established. Advent, the season that we're in here before Christmas, heightens this hope and impels us to journey together with Emmanuel on his holy way. So as we look through the Old Testament really quickly, we see that victory for the Jews often came through battle stories. For those of you that are acquainted with them, you can think of Joshua, Gideon, David, many of the war heroes. If you're not acquainted with the Old Testament, there are some amazing battle stories that would make Braveheart, the movie, look tame. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this image of a military leader, military strength. And so they naturally expected the Messiah would be a military leader. I was recently reading a book, uh, and it described the various nations at that time and the way they talked about their gods, similar to kids on a playground. Each nation would brag about the strength of their god, like a kid bragging about the strength of their dad. Oh yeah, well, my dad could beat up your dad. Oh yeah, well, my dad can lift a car. My dad can lift a car with one hand. The Israelites were, were caught up in this boasting about their God and the amazing miracles that he had done in their history. If you combine this with the belief that their God had also promised them to make, an, make them the eternal nation and a world powerhouse that all nations will bow before the Lord, as it says in Isaiah or uh, Psalm 86, it's no wonder that they expected a powerful military leader to come, anointed with the power of God. And he would be so powerful that there would be no nation that would even consider attacking Israel. Israel's dad would be the undisputed champion of the playground. And the petty discussions would all be settled. And therefore there would be peace because of the overwhelming domination 
of the God of Israel that everyone else could see. We, we, uh, we use Isaiah 9, 6 as a, as a Christmas passage. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But if you think of this passage from their perspective in history, from Isaiah's perspective, 700 years before Christ, this was proof that a powerhouse warrior was coming. Even as a child, this kid will have governments on his shoulders. Think about how strong he'll be when he's fully grown. On this side of history, in our present day, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, you can see why Israel felt totally let down, duped by Jesus. Jesus was born in a stable. He socialized with outcasts. He rode into town on a donkey. He wore a crown of thorns. And he was crucified as a criminal. There was no royal throne. There was no political might. There was no battle horse. There was no riches. There was no royal coronation. And as a worldly warrior, as a military leader, Jesus was an absolute letdown. His army was only 12 people, and even they struggled to follow his commands. The Israelites had what could be called a single-story viewpoint in mind. They were right that God would send a Messiah to save them. But they were totally wrong in that it wouldn't come through worldly power. Once again, God's plan was bigger than what humanity could imagine. It was through Jesus that God conquered the source of all conflict. It was sin not the Romans, that was defeated. The way to eternal peace with God was established. And eternal peace wasn't just for the Jews, but it was also for the Romans, their enemies. God wanted a restored relationship with all creation, even the Jews' enemies. And this all happened through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He is the Messiah who won spiritual battle over death. When we think of peace today, I wonder if we make the same mistake as the Jews. I wonder if we think too often of worldly peace. No more disasters, no more relational tension, no more bullies on the playground. And far too often we, we expect this worldly peace to come if only we had the right political, religious, workplace, school, family leader. Who do you look to for peace? If only blank, if only so-and-so would make better or right decisions. Your spouse, your sibling, your boss, your politician, your church leader. Who do you look to for peace? We all know that we can all work in our world towards peace. 
But setting too high of expectations on others takes our eyes off of Jesus, and it will lead to disappointment. We need to not make the same mistake as Israel. Only Jesus will provide eternal peace as we hope and trust in him. It may be hard for us to believe as we look around our world, but worldly peace will be established when Jesus makes all things new at the end of time. Revelation 21 says this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. It's this image of going back to the Garden of Eden, shalom image. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is the picture. Roman, uh, Revelation 21 is the picture of eternal shalom. As we wait for worldly peace on earth, it's important to note that eternal spiritual peace does not start sometime in the future. Each and every one of us can have eternal peace with God right here and now as we put our hope in Jesus. As we recognize that Jesus' death on the cross provides us a shalom relationship with God, we can be assured of eternal peace with God here and now. Receiving the gift of eternal peace with God changes us. Our fears, our suffering, our relationships, our finances, they all can be viewed differently. We can rest. And shalom, experiencing shalom, knowing that God is our peace, even in the midst of our worldly, earthly conflicts. So as we put our hope in Jesus and anticipate his return to fully establish peace on earth and abolish the presence of sin, the question ends up remaining, what is our part? Suffering, war, pain, they still exist in our world. We know we can have eternal peace of God, but how do we live that out? in our day-to-day lives. I'll make some large generalization that there's, there's two extreme views, a passive view and an active view. Do we sit and wait and pray and worship, withdraw to a monastic community, separate from the world so that we don't contribute to earthly conflict? Or do we go and fight for justice, engage in reconciliation, boldly proclaim people's need to repent. My perspective, in some ways, I would say our our community would probably be more on the action-oriented side. Probably comes from a, a Western work ethic, maybe. Even the fact that I'm including some sort of application to my message shows that there we need to do something. However, I think we also can recognize that we do have a side of passivity. Sometimes we're, we're overwhelmed by the needs. 
we don't know what to do. We shy away in fear of, of adding to the conflict instead of being peacemakers. I think it's fair to say that either side, there are strengths and weaknesses to both views. And I think it's important for each of us to think through our part in living as peacemakers as we anticipate Christ's return. Either side of it. And so uh, to do this, uh, we're going to make it really practical. My apologies if this one hits a little too close to home. But I think it's worth something, it's worth thinking about here and now and maybe save us some issues later. So here's the situation. Hypothetically speaking, what does peace look like at this year's Christmas gathering? If you're gathering, whoever is there. The family meal, the work party, the condo care home feast, your small group gathering. Hypothetically speaking, there's a person in your life who speaks in a divisive way about something that's controversial. Whether it's COVID, government, faith, your parenting techniques, a favorite sports team, or Coke versus Pepsi. There is someone who speaks in a divisive way about something controversial. Are you with me? Whatever it is, this person has a passionate view that is different from yours. Do you have that, people, that person in mind? Your brother-in-law, your crazy aunt, your awkward coworker, or the cat lady down the hall? Okay, we all got someone? A couple verses. Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Proverbs 26, verse 5, the next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. We know from Ecclesiastes 3, 7, that there is a time to be quiet, and there is a time to speak, and we need to be wise. We have our two views of passive and active, and I see these verses of being wise, of, being, of having a time to speak or a time to be silent as kind of bumper sticker wisdom. And I think it's time for us to go much deeper if we are to be biblical peacemakers. It requires some deep biblical wisdom. So often actively speaking up is thought through again from a single lens of confronting or debating or challenging the other, answering the fool. And what if instead we start thinking about a different approach with our words, with our actions? What if we ask a question? What if we reflect empathy or acknowledge their hurt or their passion? Silence, not responding, the passive side, is often thought of through the lens, the single perspective lens of weakness, or maybe even agreeing? And what if instead we use our silence as a position of respectful listening, or of genuine care, or maybe even demonstrate peaceful defiance and disagreeance? Jesus stayed silent before Pilate at his trial. Silence can be, a power, can be powerful in peacemaking, 
not just passive compliance. So I think it's important we think deeper about how to promote peace in each situation. To do so, we need to examine our own heart and our own motives. And I'm going to use a, a passage from the book of James here for us to reflect on. James chapter 3, 13 to 18. It's a bit long. Pay attention. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Did you hear how wisdom is lived out here? According to James, pure, peace-loving, gentle, meek, merciful, willing to yield, doesn't mean you always yield, willing to yield, sincere. To me, this sounds like the opposite of political or positional power. And so here's my point. We need to be discerning in each situation, and we need to learn from in Israel's mistake of having a single-story view. Their single-story view about the Messiah was that he was coming to be a political leader. That was one view of the Messiah, but it wasn't how Jesus fulfilled the role when he arrived. He had something much bigger, much more peaceful, much better in store. I think many of us have operated in a similar way, almost as if God was honored. If we have a powerful posture of certainty on all of our views, know your views and make sure you defend them. Whether it's government, pandemic, parenting, or Coke versus Pepsi, we are encouraged to have a single story view, otherwise we're seen as wishy-washy. I'm not saying we should be wishy-washy, I think it's good to know what we believe. The Jews were not wishy-washy about the coming of the Messiah. And that, when we have a solid belief, is worth digging our heels in. But sometimes our certainty is based on selfish motives or our own limited perspective, which ends up being lived out in a way that promotes our view, but ends up hurting others and perpetuates conflict. So back to the Christmas party with the fool or the person who disagrees with you. You're in a situation where you need to decide whether to speak or to stay silent. The wise decision puts their needs ahead of your own. 
and looks at them deeper than just your own selfish view. Do you need to speak and reflect empathy or maybe ask a question? Both will have greater opportunity for peacemaking than confronting and debating. Or do you need to remain silent as an act of listening to show them that you care? Or in some situations, your silence could be used as an act of defiance and a way to peacefully disagree. I think we need to change the view of how we sometimes are seen as confronting with our words or passive in our silence and not emulate the Israelites in their view of the military, that Messiah is a military leader, but instead recognize that there is another way for peace to come. For Jesus, it was as the humble servant who is the only way to eternal peace. I'm going to conclude by reading our, from our Confession of Faith. We're a Mennonite Brethren Church, and Article 13 is on love and non-resistance. It's about peacemaking. There might be parts in here that you have questions about. Uh, our Confession of Faith is a conversation starter that we want people to engage with and discuss around. So if you have questions, contact the office. Uh, we'd be happy to talk to you more about what this means. That's a great place to engage in a small group. And uh, small group leaders, you'll see in the, in the sermon questions for this week, uh, a discussion around uh, this article in our Confession of Faith. So let me read it to you, and you can reflect on this. You can uh, figure out how this aligns with some of your views on peace. So, Article 13, uh, Love and Non-Resistance, God's Community of Peace. Believers believe that God in Christ reconciles people to himself and to one another, making peace through the cross. The church is a fellowship of redeemed people living by love. Our bond with other believers of Jesus transcends all racial, social, and national barriers. And a statement on Christian peacemaking. We seek to be agents of reconciliation in all relationships, to practice love of enemies as taught by Christ, to be peacemakers in all situations. We view violence in its many different forms as contradictory to the new nature of the Christian. We believe that evil and inhumane nature of violence is contrary to the gospel of love and peace. In times of national conscription or war, we believe we are called to give alternative service where possible. Alleviating suffering, reducing strife, and promoting justice are ways of demonstrating Christ's love. Let's pray, and then Dawn is going to come and lead us in communion together. Jesus, Prince of Peace. Grant each person here your wisdom. Help them this Christmas season to be peacemakers in their jobs, in their families, as they engage on broader national, civic, provincial levels. Jesus, may we be people of peace, that our prayers would go around the world and bring peace to those places where there is massive conflict. Jesus, lift our eyes to you, Jesus, you are our hope. 
and we know that peace can only be found through you. We bless you in your name, Jesus. Amen.